Take your Bibles, join me please in Philippians chapter 3. As we are going through this letter to the Philippians. And we'll begin by reading Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 14. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Last time we considered verses 4 through 8 and how we dare not place any confidence in our flesh when it comes to our salvation. Salvation always was, currently is, always will be through Christ alone. Placing our faith in His finished work, His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we add nothing to earn salvation. We add nothing to keep salvation. It is all a work of God. We saw how Saul of Tarsus had to learn this lesson before he came to be known as the Apostle Paul. He recognized in verse 4 that if anyone might try to trust in their flesh, he said, I could do it. If anybody thinks they can, I more. And he gives his resume. He had the right birth. He was in Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had the right pedigree. He was of the stock of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. He was raised in the temple from birth circumcised the eighth day. As he grew, he grew in his, his religion. He had the right schooling, being taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He became a Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee. As touching the righteousness which is in the law, he said he was blameless. And he became very zealous as he persecuted the church. Everything one could do religiously, he did. But there came a day, thank God, there came a day when he realized he was still a wicked sinner in need of a Savior. Even the best of us, so to speak, 
that God by His grace kept us out of certain things still deserved hell. We still needed to be saved. Paul said, what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss. That I might win Christ. Verse 8, he counts it all but dung. Though Saul had checked all the right boxes religiously, he realized by the grace of God that he didn't really know God at all. And so he stated in verse 8, I counted it all lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. See, he came to understand that he needed a personal relationship with Christ. And it has been my observation that Paul's testimony is very similar to our independent Baptist children raised in church from birth. They do have the right birth, being born of two Christians. They are raised in church from birth. They have the right upbringing and schooling. They can even serve with zeal. They might even consider themselves blameless. And I don't know if that speaks to anybody tonight, but this has been so heavy on my heart the last two times in these set of verses that somebody is just playing church. And what's sad is these who had every advantage to come to know Christ never entered into a relationship with Him. Some will remain lost in their pride, sensing that somehow they really aren't that bad. Seeing themselves righteous in their own eyes. Proverbs 30 and verse 12, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 both say almost verbatim, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. How tragic to have the right birth, to have the right upbringing, to have the right schooling, to have every advantage, to serve in church. And never know Jesus Christ as your Savior. To miss having eternal life. Listen to the words of Christ in John 17, 3. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life. It's knowing God. It's not in reciting a prayer. It's not in serving. It is not in the right upbringing. It is not in the right schooling. It is not dressing a certain way. But it is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Do you know Christ? Now, we understand no man can see the heart. I didn't have time to verify these quotes, so you can feel free to do with these as you see fit. But I read how several godly preachers in the past century believed many in church were lost. I want to give you some of those. Bob Jones Sr. in the 1940s believed about 50% of churchgoers were unsaved. George Truitt, B.R. Lakin, W.A. Criswell, R.G. Lee, and Monroe Parker, they felt over 50% of churchgoers were unsaved in their day. 
B.R. Lakin and W.A. Criswell would later raise that number to 75%. Vance Havner, who died in 1986, once said how he felt over 65% of church members are lost. And I heard where he once raised that to 80%. J. Harold Smith believed 85% were lost. A.W. Tozer and R.A. Torrey once put that number of churchgoers who were unsaved at 90%. One article, this is interesting, even cited Dan Hawtrey, who was a close friend of this church and even closer to Preacher Williams. Many of you knew Brother Hawtrey. Preached here many times. He was quoted as saying he believed 75% of church people are probably lost. And Leonard Ravenhill, who knew what true revival was, said, I doubt if 5% of professing Christians in America are born again. And that's true of England. One might suggest, well, that's only their opinion. And that's true. So let's get God's opinion because that's what matters. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How many is many to God? There's over 7 billion people upon this earth right now. Many is an awful lot. We know in Noah's day that nearly all of humanity was lost. And please don't ever accuse me of trying to make somebody doubt their salvation. I would never intentionally do that. That's not my place to do anything like that. But I don't want any in our church to be in that company that said, Lord, Lord, we've done good works. We've prophesied in your name and we've cast out devils in your name. And then for Jesus to look at you being a member of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Don't think you're okay and go to hell. Do you truly have a relationship with God? And I'm simply pleading with you over these last two weeks, do not trust in your heritage. Do not trust in your upbringing. Do not trust in your own works but trust only in Christ and His power to save through His shed blood. Don't let pride hold you back. So many people, listen, when they come into my office the first time to confess that they don't know Christ, I'm afraid of what people will think. Don't let pride hold you back. Listen, I would rather go to glory thinking everybody thought I was an idiot than bust hell wide open because I didn't want people to think, oh, I thought he was saved. Yeah. Amen. Listen, if somebody has that attitude in here, I'll deal with them. But I can guarantee you that almost everybody here would rejoice. Yeah. The Bible says that the angels in heaven would rejoice. Yeah. So don't let pride keep you back. Don't worry about what others may think. But run to the Savior. Cry out to Him to save you. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 as we move on today. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. 
You see, you got to be found in Him. Amen. Doesn't say be found in your local church. I'm local church, but it doesn't say that. Doesn't say be found in the bap- baptismal waters. I'm all for baptism. Doesn't say let it be found in your good works. I'm all for good works. We need more servants. Amen. But be found in Him. Not trusting your own righteousness, that which you, you think makes you feel pretty good, that you're a good person, but your righteousness must be Christ's righteousness imputed to your account. That only comes through faith in Christ, which is of God by faith. Romans 4, 5, and 6, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The Bible is so clear that it blows my mind that there are religions built upon the idea that you have to work your way to God. How can that be? Not of works. And yet we can name them. We got the Catholics, the Mormons, the JWs, all out there trying to convince you, you got to work your way. And by the millions, billions, people are swallowing that stuff up. You know why? They don't read their Bible. Boy, I feel like preaching all of a sudden. Not even in the Word of God. No wonder you're confused. No wonder you don't know if you're saved. No wonder you're trying to figure it out. Just go to the Word of God. You say, preacher, this is the Wednesday night crowd. I know. So why does it have to be this way? Why can't we point to our good works as part of the reason we feel we are saved? Why must it all be about Christ? Because as Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Bible could not be any more clear. We try to point to our own goodness and to our own works, then what we are trying to do is we're trying to rob God of the glory that belongs to Him. And how many times have you heard it? I know I have. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Well, I'm a pretty good person. You're trying to rob God of the glory that is due to Him. They, they wouldn't understand it that way, but God said in Isaiah 48, 11, I will not give my glory unto another. 
I don't want anybody in here on judgment day to think you have a right to try to convince God that you're good enough. Do you know Him? Go to Christ. Trust in Him. And you'll experience what true liberty and peace in Christ is like. There's nothing better than when you realize it's not up to me. Let's take these same set of verses. Let's apply these to those who are saved. Paul's emphasis is in knowing Christ. He counted all his righteousness as loss for Christ. He counted it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus is Lord. He counted it all but dung that he may win Christ. In verse 9, he wanted to be found in Him. In verse 10, he wanted to know Him. In verse 12, we see Paul wanted to apprehend Christ. In verse 13, he is reaching forth. And in verse 14, he is pressing toward the mark. We not only need to learn that we have no confidence in our flesh when it comes to salvation, but Christian, will you hear me well tonight? We must also learn as we grow in Christ that we do not come to the place where we begin to trust in our flesh. As we grow in the Lord, there are going to be things that we have to learn to sacrifice to the Lord if we want to keep growing in the Lord. If we want to know Him more if we want to be closer, if we want to know Him more intimately, there's things in your life you're going to have to learn to sacrifice. Salvation is only the beginning of your walk with God. Say amen right there. It goes well beyond making a profession of faith. Often when we are first saved, we know little else. We're just babes in Christ. We need to grow and mature. We may not know many doctrines. We may not understand the crucified life. We don't yet know the depths of Christ. And since we will never arrive in this life below, in this flesh, this is a process which is always working itself in our life. We are always going through this process of God saying, I need that. Now I need that. It is something that we go through throughout our life. Even as you grow into old age, God's going to say, I need your health. It never ends is what I'm trying to tell you. This process is always going on. We need to always be wanting to know Him more, apprehend Him more, reach forth for Him more, keep pressing toward the mark for Him more. I want to ask you, do you know Him more than when you were first saved? How about this? Do you know the Lord more this year than you did last year? If your relationship with Christ is still nothing more than being saved from hell, then you've yet to grow in your walk with God. We must be moving on from the milk of God's Word into the meat. Hebrews 5, 12-14, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Are you maturing in the Lord tonight? Have you grown past being a babe in Christ? Are you a full age? 
Many are still cutting their teeth when they should be past that. And that's why they are immature whiners and criers. Still cutting their teeth. I'm glad to be past that stage in raising kids. Somebody say amen. And you got these Christians, you got this group of believers in the church that you just got to keep giving them that little frozen teething ring just to keep them manageable. You got to rock them to sleep and you got to help them along. And when they start to cry and pitch a fit, you got to make sure they got something to chew on. Babes in Christ. I I told you I'm feeling just a slightly cantankerous. I think it's Grant's fault, but I don't know. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Now, this is interesting. Hebrews 5, at the end of Hebrews 5 is where it says you need to be a full age, you need to be growing, you need to go past being a babe, and you need to mature and go on to the meat. When you get to chapter 6, it's continuing what Paul was saying at the end of chapter 5. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, and of the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. You know, Paul, he says, look, I shouldn't have to relay that foundation for you over and over again. You ought to grow up. You need to be growing. You need to go on to perfection. Perfection in chapter 5 is almost identical to the Greek word for those of full age in chapter 4. They both mean completeness in Christ. Those who are maturing as children of God. There is this trend that when we get to a certain part, a certain point in our walk with God we kind of slide into this robotic routine where we do what we do because that's what we do. We've been saved, we've grown a little bit, we're maturing, and then we just kind of, we just kind of get in line. We just kind of go through the motions every week. And really, it's the same as having confidence in our flesh. When we hit that point, what we're really saying is, I'm doing pretty good. I've I've got things together. I'm I'm mature. I've I've grown up. and, And when you get to that point where you're just going through the motions and you're just checking the boxes, you're saying, I have confidence in my flesh. We don't often identify it this way. This is where we go to church out of habit because it's what Christians are supposed to do. But we never prayed over the service. Yeah, went to church Wednesday night. Did you pray before you got here? I went to church Sunday morning. Did you pray? Did you pray for the singers to be anointed? Did you pray for the preaching of God's word? Did you pray for the lost to be saved? Did you pray for the backslider? Did you pray for those that are serving to be strengthened and continue on? Did you pray? Or did you just show up? You pray for our Sunday school teachers and those who are hearing the word of God. You see, we just go through the routine. And we're essentially telling God we're confident in our flesh. 
This is where we don't seek God in prayer over decisions, but we just go about life handling everything on our own until God brings something big enough into our life to shake up our world and get our attention and get us back to focused on him. And then people wonder, why is all this happening in my life? Because God's tired of you trusting in your flesh. This is where we aren't really witnessing to others, but we just casually invite people to come to church but we don't plead with them to come to know Christ as their Savior. Do you hear what I'm saying? We think we're doing God's service and say, boy, you need to come to Liberty Baptist Church. No, you need to come to Christ. This is when our Bible reading really begins to slip. We place our Bible in this location when we get home from church and we don't pick it up again until we go back to church. This is where we give, but we aren't truly thankful that God has even blessed us with a paycheck to be able to give in the first place. And if you have listened closely, I just described how five to thrive becomes nothing more than checking a box. Going through the motions, but we're not really in fellowship with God. And we have to examine ourselves. We must ask God to search our hearts. We must learn to die daily. Don't slide into trusting the routine of your flesh and then fool yourself that somehow you're right with God. Listen, this, this manifests itself in all kinds of ways. If you want me to give you something more practical, it happens in people's marriages. They just go through the motions of being married. 20 years later, kids are out of the house. Mom looks at dad and goes, Who's, who are you? What happened? You got in a routine. You didn't really invest in one another. And that's how it happens with God. You go to church for 20 years, and then one day you look and go, Lord, what's going on? I, do I even really know you? So what we must do then, if we want to go farther with God, is after we're saved, we must develop a deeper walk with God. How do we keep growing after salvation? How do we know Him more? How do we win Christ? Well, just like with salvation, those fleshly things that we count loss, those things that we counted as gain in our flesh that we now count as loss, we must see if there's something in our lives after we're saved that God is saying, I need you to count that as loss. That you may continue to grow. And listen, here's the point, Christian. You must learn to give everything to God. Everything. You have to give Him full control of your life. What is keeping you from growing and maturing? Allow God to decide what gets to stay and what has to go. Paul had to give all that he was up. And listen, if you didn't get anything else tonight, I want you to get this. Not only did Paul have to give up who he was in the past, but Paul, he had to learn to give up who he was presently. And listen, this is what's missing with so many tonight. We must come to the place where we don't just see who we were before Christ. Hear me well. But you must learn to come to the place to see yourself for who you still are apart from Christ. After Paul was saved, he said, after he was saved, for I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. There's still nothing good about you after you're saved except the Holy Spirit is now quickened within you. It is God that lives in you and through you. 
But you see, we get saved and we try to live the Christian life in the confidence of our flesh. But just as you cannot save yourself, you cannot live the Christian life in of yourself. Your flesh still has to die. And as Paul wrote about the struggles with his flesh in Romans chapter 7, he concluded by saying in Romans 7.24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death after he was saved? Oh, wretched man that I am. What does he write next in Romans 7.25? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it all comes back to Christ. Paul never, <laughs> Paul never claimed that he was getting victory over his flesh. Get this. But he knew that his flesh could never profit him. It wasn't that one day the flesh was finally going to be all lined up to where Paul could say, now I've got it. My flesh is in line. I'm good to go. Paul understood that as for me and my flesh, it will never serve God. What did Jesus say? Flesh is weak. It is the spirit that is willing. He knew he could never have confidence in the flesh even though he had been saved. Paul understood this. There's only one way. There's only one way to deal with the flesh. You see, he had learned this. He understood that to deal with the flesh wasn't that he would slowly get better and better. But you know what he said? I must crucify the flesh. I got to kill it. I die daily. Paul had to cease living. That's the bottom line. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think of Brother Furs every time I read that verse. You know what, you know what Pastor Furs would say after that? Tom Furs died September 1978 or whatever it was. That's what we have to learn. Gary Brooks died June 1990. It is no longer I that lives. But it is to be Christ that lives in me. It's about walking in the Spirit. There is only one remedy for our flesh. Galatians 5.24 And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. That's it. There is no confidence in the flesh. Luke 14, 26 and 27. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We're going to know Christ better than we have to learn to take up our cross daily. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So do you know Christ this way tonight? 
Have you counted all things but loss so that you may know him more and more? Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. To know him more. That word excellency in verse 8 means there's nothing superior. There is nothing higher. Paul was saying there's nothing better in this life than to know Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing better. He still, wanted to cry, he still wanted to know Christ more and more. Can you say that? I realize I've been stuck in these verses without really breaking down these verses like I normally would. Maybe we'll get in depth more later, but I trust that's what's said tonight. God wants to be said. Do you want to know Him more? Are you found in Him tonight? Are you pressing for Him? Are you trying to apprehend Him What is the Lord placing His finger upon in your life and saying, I need you to give that up? If you want to know me better, I need this. Is there something you're placing your confidence in above Christ? Is there something that is hindering you from knowing Him more deeply? How's your fellowship with God tonight? Are you walking with Him? Are you growing in Christ? Maybe you're still a disruptive baby in Christ. And you've never learned to mature and move on. As I said early on, as we grow in the Lord, there's things that we have to learn to sacrifice in order to grow closer to Him, to know Him more intimately. For me personally, you know my testimony. I had to sacrifice lands, a career, and even my parents that I might continue to know my Lord more intimately. And as strange as it sounds, I'm glad I did. And I'm still learning there are things that I need to give over to God. Sydney and Grant are getting married Friday, and I have to let her go. And as a dad, I don't want to. So I'm supposed to, as a 44-year-old man who's in the process of raising four kids, say, Grant, at the age of 18, you have full control of my daughter. God says you got to let her go. If you want to know me more, you got to go through it. And, and many of you already know what that's like. This is my first one, so just let me have my moment. <laughs> got to let her go. And whether she feels this way or not, she's still daddy's little girl. I expect you to come over on your 19th birthday so I can still pick you up. God has said, let her go. I don't want to in my flesh, but it has to be done. Why? God has something to teach me. He definitely has something to teach Adrian. I just throw me in there to make her feel better. He wants me to learn to trust him more. He wants me more focused on apprehending him more than apprehending my family. Some people, they make family their idol. God says it can't be that way. And likewise, they need to let go of their family and cleave to each other if they're going to keep growing in Christ. All I'm saying is God is always at work. I said at the beginning, this process is always going on. It manifests itself in different ways. But we have to learn to yield all that we are to Him. 
to His will if we are going to grow more into the image of Christ. So what is it that you need to let go of so that you may win Christ? Let's pray.